Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad, here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you doing? Uh, doing good, Shad. I'm doing good. I am so glad to hear it, and I want to say thank you, everybody out there who has joined us for this episode. We'll get our shout-outs taken care of right here at the beginning. The first one is going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, CollarandElbowBrand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That's the number four capital C and Corners Capital P and Podcast to save ten percent off your order. And for our other shout out, we go to Matt. Uh, that'd be to Orlando Cologne. Um, you know, Orlando Cologne, in my opinion, worth a million dollars. Worth a million dollars. He might be considered the million dollar man. <laughs> Matt, that sounds like a segue. Uh, it is a segue. <laughs> um, we're going to be doing some. Uh, some Ted DiBiase matches, but mm. actually pre-Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase matches. Uh, uh, before that, I actually saw a thread today I wanted to kind of mention on the... It was uh, not really related to us, but I did see someone talking about like old-school video games on mm-hmm. Twitter today. And okay. you know what game was getting a lot of love? Super Mario Bros. 2. Nice! And I felt, I felt, very, uh, I felt in very good company because it's like, I actually love that game, as I said last week. So I'm glad that other people enjoy it. That's excellent. Uh, at some time, I'll throw you the um, the summoning salt link about the Super Mario Brothers 2 speedrunning because it's hmm. really fascinating. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, tonight we're talking Ted DiBiase pre-Million Dollar Man. So, Brad, can you set the stage for us a little bit? So we're kind of jumping around some areas and years, so... We have from uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling in 1981, we have Ted DiBiase and Steve O versus Jimmy Snuka and Terry Gordy. And then from 1985, um, they're related to each other, so we have a television match of Brad Armstrong versus Ted DiBiase. And then we have a house show rematch from Oklahoma City Uh with them. And then I think we... We bounced to 1986, which is Tiger Mask 2 versus Ted DiBiase from All Japan Wrestling. Okay. Well, which one do we want to start with then? Do we want to go chronological? or? Yeah, let's go chronological, I think. So that starts us with the Georgia Championship tag match? Yep. Is that right? Yeah, because that's from 81. Okay. Um, if you're listening at home and would like to follow along, these are all on YouTube. If you would like to hunt them up, fair bit of warning, um, if my memory serves, and it might not, I've been hit in the head a few times, the tag match is probably the lowest video quality of the uh, four. The, the one with the, the TV Brad Armstrong match is a little dicey, too, because it's old. It, it is, but it's it's okay. Um, 
I just felt like this one was a little rougher. But uh, is that the longer one? Yeah. I, I that's actually from TV. Yeah. Honestly, like the way it was shot and, and the video quality, I thought it was honestly like a fan cam. Oh wow. Well, no, because uh, Gordon Sully is um is talking to Michael Hayes on commentary. And the one that yeah. was um it was shot professionally. The the Oklahoma City Ted DiBiase Brad Armstrong match was a house show. Mm. That okay. one was not TV. Gotcha. Well, okay, so it was DiBiase and Steve O, was that right? Yeah. Not the jackass guy. No. Um, versus Gordon Soley, or not Gordon Soley, God, Terry Gordy and Jimmy <laughs> Snuka. Um, so Michael just, Hayes is on commentary, and he appears to be faced because Gordy had turned on him for some reason. Um, so he's on commentary. He's actually fairly restrained um, for Michael Hayes. He talks a lot, but it's not... Um, obnoxious. Yeah, and it's not... It's oddly fairly even-handed. Um, you know, it would, being Michael Hayes on commentary, I forget that, uh, you know, you, you you don't forget that it's usually that it's Michael Hayes doing his con- his gimmick bit, but uh, he did pretty good here. Yeah, and, and to put in perspective as we talk about this, Terry Gordy is 20 or 21 at this point in his career. And... At that point, like he already kind of did his at least one big run with the Freebirds. No, he's they they'd been they were like they had done the big Mid South run, they had done a Memphis run, and they had they were like in the midst of like uh, Georgia, which is like at this point Georgia was like the show because they were on TBS, mm. and that's like so from like eighty. Like seventy nine to like eighty three, Georgia was like the place. Yeah. <clears throat> because they were on TV, everyone had that. Like, um, that's how they ended up coming to Columbus, Ohio, as they did this angle on TV just to see where they got letters from, and they got a bunch from Columbus because Columbus was one of the first major cities wired for cable. So they came and did a house show in Columbus in like 80 or 81. It's fascinating. I actually just today got to that section of the book Death of the Territories where they were talking about that. That's a good I book. Think, I think he uh, – I think the the guy said it's like they knew full well it would be unpopular for them to do this. So they encouraged everybody to write in and voice their opinion. Who was just the angle so with it? It was like that. Mr. Wrestling 2 and – Somewhere. Um. Yeah, I can't remember. Well, I know DiBiase was in the mix there at the time, but I'm not sure if it was with him. Yeah. Um. But anyway, yeah, it's a it's a good book. It it jumps around a little bit without exactly setting that it's it's jumping, or maybe that's just the way the audiobook I'm listening to is produced. But there it is a good. A little book. dicey on the audiobook, in my opinion. He's doing a good job. It's interesting. He seems to be working very hard to say wrestling in order to, I guess, differentiate it from people slurring into wrestling or something. There's like something. That. There's um. There's a point later, and it's really I still remember it. We you know 
pay-per-view it's ppv and he goes ppv and i'm like oh my god dude like (laughs) you should have checked on that before you narrated it and um i think georgia championship wrestling at this point wasn't it owned by the briscoes they were they had an interest in it like then jim barnett was around um (laughs) boys my boy i don't know what his I don't know what his ownership stake in it was, and I don't know what, like, Ole Anderson's ownership stake in it was, but I know, like, the Briscoes had. If I remember from the book correctly, um, Barnett had the majority in it, and he had Ole booking, so Ole had, like, a minority to it. Yeah. Uh, so the Briscoes would have had part, but I just love the fact that it, you know, around some old school wrestling folks, you can say Jim Barnett, and we all do exactly the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> there's There's... Oddly enough, um, I remember this from listening to the shoot interview. Ted DiBiase said when he, whenever he went to go um, interview with Vince to be the Million Dollar Man, he took his wife along, and they set Jim Barnett down with her to talk to her so she wouldn't be by herself. And when they left, the first thing she said was, oh, my God, you were right all these years. He really <laughs> does talk like that. Because <laughs> apparently – he was just sitting there and talking to her. And I'm, for some reason, I'm going into this weird newsy thing. But, you know, the thing about my boy up there, and she just, she, she couldn't keep it together the whole time. So He's, uh, he's almost like the Paul Lind of uh, yeah. professional wrestling in a way. <laughs> yeah. Very unique way of speaking. It's like... <laughs> Wasn't it Cornette that always talked about, like, um, didn't he always, like, want the boys in the back to share their sexual escapades or something like that or encourage them to do that or something there's something weird he did i don't, I don't remember that part because wow. Cornette talked about like they wanted him to do a book and he didn't want to because he'd have to come out as gay and Cornette's like that is the worst kept secret in the world <laughs> uh okay so this tag match um, this is it. so um, it, it really, this match really has its ups and downs for me because if Terry Gordy's in there, stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. And um, if Jimmy Snook is in there, not so much is happening. But Shad and I were having a side conversation about this, about how the old school guys talk about how everything's too go, go, go and flippy and they don't work properly. And the one thing well, I can't... old school indie guys. Yeah. And, like um, and watching these matches through all of these is yes they did mat work but they changed it up and they kept it they kept a tight fast pace for all of these matches and it's old stuff and um like gordy was like flying around that ring the whole time in um my takeaway from this match was that uh gordy and dibiase were were carrying the weight and O was filling his role which, you know, he was doing fine, but he was not, like, like carrying the weight. And then Snooka was not adding a whole lot. There is a spot in here where I think Gordy uh, pile drives Steve-O. And O hits the pile driver, rolls off to the side, and as he rolls, he just flings his hand up for the hot tag. And I looked at that and I went, I love that. That is amazing. I, I um, that was Steve O. He did that. 
I think one of them, one, either DiBiase or Steve-O did that. I thought it was O, but I might be wrong. They it could be could hard have... to tell apart sometimes because of the of the the footage quality. So if like things yeah. got a little scrambled, you had to like you had to retell yourself who was who because they looked they didn't look super similar. But if you lost sight of both of them for a second or their face, it would be like you had to reacclimate yourself. And their hair be similar. Yeah, yes, it was similar. At least they were wearing, like, different type of trunks, yeah. like, different color trunks. But I actually, for someone, I had never seen a single match he's done. Like, and I, I looked him up, and I guess he had a good career, a decent career in Georgia Championship Wrestling. But Steve-O was actually pretty decent. Like, he was, he held his own in this match. Yeah. He has, um, there's a... He had a run with All Japan in 84, so there is, like, a decent-ish match with him versus uh, Jimbo Saruta for the international title. Oh, wow. Let's see if I like can I said, he's, he's filling his role here. He's he's doing fine. It's just odd to have a match where you have DiBiase and Gordy doing this work, and then O is there, and he's filling his role. It's like... You're stair stepping down with Snook on the on the bottom stair, and it's like it's uh it's an interesting contrast. To, I did get pissed off though. They didn't say what belt um, Snooka had, but they mentioned that Steve-O was the national champion, and I'm like, well, what's the belt Snooka has? Uh, he actually looking it up. Uh, he had the, the national tag team championship with Terry Gordon. Okay. Ah. Which th- to okay. me, like that's such an odd pairing. Like I didn't, I don't know the context of why those two were were team. Um. Yeah, this was like pre WWF slash WWE first for Snuka. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Snuka might have had a run there, but I mean, this was this was on cable, so like everyone wanted to go to Georgia at the time or do a run in Georgia. Because it was like exposure, magazines, you know, money and all that. Yeah, stuff. and they were getting syndicated in a bunch of different markets at the time. Yeah, yeah, uh, like Georgia was like if you if you hear like guys talk like if you like one of Zellner's podcasts with guys talking about their territories and stuff, they'll be like, um, oh yeah, like I went to my friend's house to watch Georgia because I didn't have cable yet, and like it was like it was like the thing. That's that's like the only Georgia championship I can see that Snuka had. He had um, the I U.S. He did. title, I think. Yeah, yeah. He he did have the U.S. title uh, before that, in like the late late seventies, like like a couple of years before. Um, I don't know. I just I never really bought into like Snuka. Like Snuka was never really like a a favorite of mine, even though he was pushed like in the early days of of the WWF, like he was kind of pushed pretty well. I remember him being on, <laughs> I remember him being on like rock and wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> that really weird Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah. It Snooka struck me as, um, a mid card guy with a unique look kind of thing. That was my takeaway for him, but I've never been, all that big on Snooka myself. And biggest thing I remember is him getting getting a 
coconut cracked over his head. But oh, and I, I was wrong. He won the U.S. title in in Mid Atlantic, not Georgia. I apologize. Oh, for okay. The inaccuracy. Sorry. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because the the problem with that is is like it's easy to mess up because in '85 Mid Atlantic and Georgia kind of merge because they take over that time slot, so they it gets because WCW kind of drew drew on both promotions in a way. Yeah. So it it just gets confused in my head sometimes. Gotcha. <clears throat> um. So you know it's a good match. Um. I didn't exactly see the finish coming, but that's just no, I, I hate, was unaware I, of the. I hate the, when um, when someone like Hayes does that and he costs them the match and like the other faces are like supposed to be okay with it, like that annoys mm-hmm. me because he really yeah. didn't need to run in, in my opinion. No, he didn't. And Gordon but... Sully was trying to, like, cover for it to make it sound less stupid. I'm like, no, dude, like, he didn't need to run in. <laughs> it's every now, you know, uh, if I hear a Gordon Sully match, I have to admit there's always one word I'm listening for every time. I'm always listening to hear about the play. <laughs> yeah, that did not come out in this one. but um... It did once. It did oh, once. Oh, okay. I, I maybe Michael Hayes like maybe Gordon sent him on like a beer run mid match and he got lost <laughs> and got stuck in the match. Maybe, but uh, Gordon's you know, a little this... too dry for me. I'm just gonna be honest. Yeah, I, I know that Gordon Soley was popular because a lot of people grew up with him as the play by play. But there's some people we have listened to do. Uh, commentary on older shows and their commentary or their play-by-play is very uh, dry and matter-of-fact and it doesn't feel like it adds to the excitement no, and because, i don't like that because the more i've watched of memphis like to me like lance russell is is unequivocally the best play-by-play guy ever and jim ross is like second and tony shimani is probably third I, I, isn't it isn't it just fascinating that Shivani's resurgence has finally got people to quit bagging on him, saying he was bad back on Nitro? Yeah, he was never what I would say bad. He's just he. There were points where he got so like demoralized by the product that yeah. he mm-hmm. kind of phoned it in a lot, and it, you could tell. But he was good. I mean, obviously, like the fact that he's good now, it's like when he is invested in in the product that he's presenting mm-hmm. you can see that he's actually good yeah oh yeah yeah <clears throat> but I, I in my head i've got uh, i don't have um like specific rankings for commentators i've got echelons i put them in and i, I also try and split them by the role because there's color and then there's your your expert commentary which is what i put like mike Tanay and excalibur in but for your play-by-play guys, Russell, Ross, Shivani, they go in the like the top echelon for me. Um, Zabisco, I would have put in the the expert column as well, for example. Sorry, just wanted to get that out. <laughs> but like, if we have like when Memphis comes up and it's like early '80s Memphis, like I'm always excited because it's like, oh man, like we get to listen to Lance Russell. Mm-hmm. Like it's always like he's always a treat. No matter what. Yeah. But um, I thought this was decent for like a, probably like a TV like main event or top of the hour match. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it was. It was actually it. It was kind of fun. Like the there was a when Stuka was in there, it wasn't like great. When Gordy was in there, it picked up. Um, yeah. But I thought the faces did a pretty good job. Um, it kind of set up possibly. Well, it, it continued the uh, the Gordy Michael Hayes feud, but uh, I, it would made me uh, interested in seeing more of both teams facing each other. I don't know if they ever did, but I'd this have was to a. Look. Yeah, this is pretty good. Like, uh, it's fine for a TV match. Uh, it kind of, it had a schmaz finish, but that was okay because it was they were trying to advance other storylines. So yeah. I thought it was fine. So then we get to I think the next two. Well, we'll do the next two matches as kind of a series. But this was, I'd say, the highlight of the evening for me was. So first match is like I think from January 1985. So. Brad Armstrong is the North American champion. He beat Ernie Ladd for it, I think, sometime in December. And mm-hmm. he is being um, challenged by Ted DiBiase with Skandor Akbar. And yeah. this is Black Glove Ted DiBiase. Yes. So now both matches kind of, if you watch them back to back, which I did, they feel very, they do the right thing where the matches feel like they build on each other mm-hmm. a little bit. A little bit. Um, to be honest with you, my big biggest takeaway from these was more that they're out there having this match. First of all, for some somewhere in my mind, I had completely lost just how well Brad Armstrong could move because yeah. the guy could. I, it wasn't just that he could go like you know his his in ring movement was excellent. And DiBiase, um, in the in the course of this, let me find my note real quick. Um, in in the course of this, DiBiase's offense is um, it, it's it's not, for lack of a better term, it's not fancy. Like nothing these two guys do is particularly fancy. A lot of it is stuff that you would learn early on at wrestling school or something. But they, number one, do it so well, and they do it so dynamically and expressively that it still – it just draws you in. You – go ahead, Matt. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. I'm no, no, you're fine. Your toes. But I, I would agree with that. It's nothing – there was nothing flashy per se with this. But I thought both guys looked really, like, really good in this match. Um, and I actually felt like the other – we'll talk about it in a second, but the next DiBiase-Armstrong match I felt was actually even better. But this I thought was really good. First off, I popped for Skandor Akbar. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I don't – this period of time I, is, like, stuff I don't really know. This is way before I got into wrestling. So I, I – and I haven't had a chance to see much of it. So I did not know that – that Skandor like managed Ted DiBiase for any length of time, um, but uh, to go to their work, I thought that that Brad Armstrong looked really really good. He caught this may have been like his peak because he he was kind of booked. He's getting booked like as a strong underdog. Yeah, um, he, hmm? strong underdog because because the, the North American belt is the top title in Mid South at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. He actually was booked well and given a, a good push. It seems 
um, which is a far cry from like later, like in, even in like early nineties WCW, it's like that with the, like, his best days are kind of behind him. Not that it like in ring work, but just like big pushes and being treated as a big deal. But I thought DiBiase looked like fantastic in this. Um, you, know, you know what didn't look fantastic in this? That fucking god awful North American belt. Because <laughs> I, li- I like when we get to the house show, like Ted DiBiase won't even carry it because he's like that fucker's too heavy. Like here, Skandar, you like lay yeah. this thing around. I um supposedly I the, black... the wrestlers hated that belt because it weighed like a ton. They claimed on commentary that it was 27 pounds of golden leather, and uh, I believe it from looking at the thing. Yeah. What were you going to say, Matt? I love a heel. He looked vicious. Like, the stuff he would do sometimes is just like, he just looked like a dick. Yeah. He did. That was going into this. I knew that DiBiase had done the loaded glove gimmick for a long, you know, pre WWF. But the thing that always stuck me is like, especially in this era, or especially prior to like current WWF playing so much to the camera kind of stuff. Um, you had to be expressive enough that the crowd knew what you were doing. So I was always like, okay, I knew he loaded the glove. How did he load the glove that the crowd knew what he was doing? And so in this match, finally, I I got to see it firsthand and I get it because. What do you mean the second match? Because I don't think he loaded the glove on the first match. Okay. In in yeah. one of them, we get to see him load the glove. Because he figure like he figure mm-hmm. fours him to win the title in the TV yes. match. Yes, you're right. Okay, sorry about. It. But just to to finish the point, like when I was working, I usually had a chain with me somewhere. So what I would do is, <clears throat> you would figure if I'm trying to cheat, I'm holding the chain like down near my waist and I'm like wrapping it real quietly. But no, nobody sees you if you do that. I'm trying to piss people off. So I've got my fist up like by my head and I wrap my wrap the chain around my fist and I hold it. And I'm like, I'm going to knock your head off with this thing, you know, that sort of stuff. So the crowd sees it happening, right? Because you want them to see it. You want them to know what happened. You want them to know what the reaction is. I was like, how is he doing this? Well, <laughs> DiBiase's body language. Sorry if I start coughing or if I sound weird. My allergies are in full bloom. But he's on his knees, he holds his hand down, and he's very clearly sliding something into the glove before he turns to the shot. And it's like, oh, okay, now I see the body language he was using to do it. That was weirdly a mystery that has been in my head for years. So I'm glad we I finally got that cleared up. Yeah, so the first the, the, the match where DiBiase won the title, it's kind of like a back and forth, and he just kind of... Brad makes a mistake and he gets him in the figure four. And because this is the eighties, um, he pretty much submits immediately instead of like the long drawn out, um, turning the figure four and like devaluing the hold and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They did, um, two things in this. I'm sorry. I know I'm jumping on it again that I really loved in this match is number one, just like, um, what was it? Was it Piper and, and Briscoe, Brad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. 
they have an extended headlock sequence in this match, and it's not what you think it is. It is not, I've got a headlock on, and I'm just holding it, and you're like, uh, like they are working the hell out of this headlock. And it's one of those things where I could describe it, but honestly, it would be better if you saw it because to see how the two of them go through. Because I absolutely believe that DiBiase is groggy and disoriented after being stuck in this headlock for so long. You know, it's... It, the the one of the guys I used to work with would phrase it as it's like okay how's this going to do enough damage that it's believable that I'd be like this whenever the whenever I come out of it it's totally <laughs> believable the way they do the headlock here because um, I mean they fight it all over the ring and DiBiase's trying to use the ropes to throw him off and it doesn't work. And then you said, you know, Armstrong makes makes a mistake and DiBiase goes through the figure four. I really love they do it really quick, but they do a really big build to go into the figure four. And it looks it looks great. Yeah, he made a big mistake in the, the house show, too, on mm-hmm. his comeback. But let's let's go to the house show then. So the house show is about an 18 minute match and it's really good. Yeah, because so the, mm-hmm. pretty much what they do for the for the house show match is. They kind of work a hold, and then they get out of it, and they do a flurry of offense, and then they go back to a hold is kind of what what the style of the match is. And not a static hold. They're really – they are – DiBiase has a spot where he has a rear chin lock on, and they are working the rear chin lock. Like, well, and, it looks good. What I found interesting, and it's very subtle, and you'd have to look for it, but I noticed – the way he, the way Ted DiBiase is calling the match is like once Brad or one of them is trying to fight out of the hold is when he starts calling the next sequence. So like mm-hmm. if he's getting up out of a headlock, you can see Ted puts his head down like he's fighting it, but he's, you can tell he's yeah. like talking to him. Yeah, it's and, it's very very well done. And the other thing I really liked about this match is. Um, Ted and the the referee going back and forth, and the ref was giving him some shit back. Cause yeah. Like there's one point where he's complains, like, "Well, what do you want me to do? Give you the match?" Yeah. Um. From the to go back to the doing basic stuff, but doing it so well, there is a sequence where the big pieces of the sequence are a backslide and an arm drag. And from so many things that you would see in modern stuff, those are almost just placeholders, but these guys work them and they're, they're quick paced and they're high energy. And they, I mean, these seem like a big deal. It's like all of a sudden Armstrong, who's just a great baby face here, snatches him and like whips it into a, a backslide. And when it doesn't work and DiBiase kicks out, he just snatches him and takes him over in the arm drag real quick. And it looks great. Like, this might be blasphemous, but watching Armstrong do arm drags in this match, I like more than watching how Ricky Steamboat did arm drags. Like, <clears throat> wow. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's high. That's the highest praise possible. <laughs> yeah. What, did the, I, but, what was the move where Ted did that, like, flipping bump off of because there was some he did ted was bumping like huge this whole match for brad like he made him look yeah it was very um i said to them while i was watching I'm like this is 
this feels very Flair-esque in, like, Ted's performance here. Yeah. Um, I don't have that written down. I know what you're talking move? about. Oh, yeah, um, DiBiase came off with a double axe handle, and, um, Armstrong, uh, punched him in the gut. Oh, that's right, because that looked amazing, the way he yeah. did that. As soon as he hit, he didn't hit and then pop into a front butt. He hit and then just tucked over. So the momentum of coming off the top whenever he tucked over just carried him over onto his back. Yeah, I think I think if someone is just knows DiBiase from his WWF stuff, I think the, the first thing that's going to really surprise and shock them is his athleticism, mm-hmm. which is like really understated, but he's like incredibly athletic in these matches. Yes. Um, DiBiase does... Also, DiBiase in this house show match, I love... He's great at being a bully because every time he tries to put Armstrong down and Armstrong gets out of it, he's he's comes off as legitimately pissed. Like, he, get, he goes to put Armstrong down and Armstrong comes back up. He's like... And at one point he looks at him and goes, Get over here, you little son of a bitch! And, like, snatches him... Well, and he starts bitching at the ref, too, like, when he keeps yeah. getting up. But it's like um, that Slaughter match we watched, in that DiBiase and Slaughter are both working kind of bigger, not like big man stuff, but kind of bigger, but they pinball around for the other guy to make him look good, and it looks fantastic. Yeah. I'm sorry, Matt, Brad and I have been, like, rolling down the track and we haven't stopped enough to breathe to let you in. And this is, um, I really like love this, uh, this match mm-hmm. for a lot of those things that you just t- you talked about. But I just felt again, both guys looked amazing. Again, DiBiase was really playing a really strong heel. Mm-hmm. And I just love, I even like the, I don't usually, I kind of hate headlock spots. But I liked how it was done here mm-hmm. because it was like it started. I was like, I when they started this sequence. I was like, oh boy, headlock spot. All right, well, <laughs> let me sit through this for a while. And then like every time BBS would almost get out of it and did did the basically things like running to the ropes that you think like, okay, he's gonna run to the ropes, gonna shoot him off. It's like that's seen that spot like a, a thousand times, hundred thousand times. And then Brad would hold on, and he would like just crank it. And then by the second or third time he did that, I got like really into it. I'm like, oh, okay, like yeah, he's he's not playing around. Like even like a simple yeah. moves headlock, he's making it actually look like intense. Yeah, and I thought DiBiase was like really throwing like some really, again, kind of simplistic stuff, but kind of measured blows. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things that I really like about like Southern style or older style wrestling which was mostly like in the South because they didn't really do that all the time or most of the time uh, up North and WWF slash WWE. It's like he would do measured blows in every blow. It seemed like even like you're, you're okay. You're just like punching the guy, but Mm -hmm. it's like if you measure him and then like give him a punch, it's like a guy can like, it can stun a guy and the guy can like sell for you for like a a few seconds, stumble Mm -hmm. around the ring. And in like a minute, you may have hit the guy like three times. And that's it. Like that's the only offense you've given, but you've done it in a way that it, like it looks devastating. It looks really, really uh, well real. Because the whole point is obviously like suspension of disbelief. It, it looks like intense. There was a lot of that going on 
uh, in parts of this match, especially like the early parts of the match. And I just thought it really looked good. Um, I, their interplay was really good. Like again, I think he he really made uh, both guys made made the other look really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I agree. I agree. It was it's they had just excellent chemistry. This really really came together. Armstrong was a great baby face through this whole match. Uh, if if I was going to complain about one thing, it's that Brad Armstrong's big right hands don't look fantastic. <laughs> Every, you know, everything else looks great. Those those big right hands just didn't really do it for me, but man, they do they do a really good job. This like what was this match, Brad? Like about 18 minutes long? Yeah, I believe so. It did not feel like it at all. You know, the pace stayed up. It was engaging. It was really, really enjoyable. I really, really liked it. So, yeah. this the, If you're going to hunt up some, yeah, DiBiase versus Brad Armstrong stuff is, is absolutely worth your time. Yeah, definitely. Um, I liked, this was the match that had the uh the loaded glove spot mm-hmm. and i actually liked how this was done because like in, in most most loaded glove loaded knee pad loaded boot anything like that where you have you're loading a weapon mm-hmm. it's usually typically and, and most of the time it's like on tv so it's done like for time i think but you have some guy load load their weapon into a glove or something like that Mm-hmm. And it's like boom, they hit him. It's over with. And they actually, I liked. They actually played around with it. Like DBS, he loaded the glove, and he would go for it a couple times, and he couldn't get it because Brad would be doing stuff. Like he'd be getting on offense, and it's like every time he was potentially had an opening to hit him with that, he mm-hmm. couldn't quite do it. Like he had to fight for it. And after like a minute of Brad like getting some offense on him, then then DBS, he had his opening. Yeah. Uh, when he, was able to use it like but i actually really like that it's like okay that's different yeah even though this match is like 30 plus years old like that's like a new twist on it even though this is old like it should not be a new twist mm-hmm. but i thought that was really cool like you didn't just go immediately for that which would have been kind of like a trope kind of like a wrestling trope but yeah they had him for it and i actually like thought that was really cool and i appreciated that oh i agree with you it was great because that last there's what about 90 seconds, maybe two minutes of the match after he loads the glove, mm. and this whole time he's swinging that hand trying to catch Armstrong with it, and Armstrong, you know, in kayfabe, not knowing he's doing it, just keeps weaving around the damn thing mm. until DiBiase finally lands the shot. It's it's you're you're so spot on. It's it just adds a little something right there at the end. And the crowd was super into this and very outraged when Ted DiBiase won. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is having a this being a non televised match. Um I thought this is the kind of thing that you would on the shows that I would work, this is the kind of thing that you would hope to be able to pull off that night. Like something like this, because people would love it. You wouldn't have to kill yourself. It would be a it would be a really good match. Like this was 
at least in my book, this is the kind of thing that you would be shooting for. Yeah. And here it is in front of me, you know, just so good. So next we're going to go to Japan. Japan. Um, so this is part of a tour. Like if you look around this time frame, he, Ted DiBiase and Tiger Mask 2 wrestle a lot. Um, Tiger Mask 2 is uh, Mitsuhara Mizawa. Um, he did this gimmick, I think, from like 85 to 89 or so before they had him unmask to like push him. Now, the, the first thing I'm going to mention about this footage is it's almost embarrassing how much like the Japanese production looks, how much better it looks than anything in America at the time. It really does look excellent. It's it's because I would the, the video quality is like for yeah. how good it looks. Yeah, it, it looks really, really excellent. So this is um this is kind of like just a quick little eight nine minute sprint. I I wouldn't say it's like a classic or anything. It's more just a fun little. They do some spots and have some fun with it. Um. I I have to be honest. I didn't really care for this one much. Um, I have a few complaints with it, but I'll sit on them to uh, do the positives first so that I don't ruin the vibe. Um, I mean, no, it's... I think for 86, like, um, Nizawa does some cool stuff, like the dive. I thought it was mm-hmm. a cool little German suplex. Um, mm-hmm. Ted DiBiase plays the bully really well here. Mm-hmm. Um, they worked the head, the, the headlock spots pretty well in the mm-hmm. early going. Um, I like the attack before the match. I think where this has problems is it's about an eight minute match, and I feel like Mazzal is trying to like squeeze a fifteen to sixteen minute match out of it. Mm. Um. All right, so for me to gripe for just a minute. Um, right, Matt, is there anything you want to throw in before I start bitching about this? Okay, here goes. Um, uh, is there anything you want to say before I start bitching about this? Oh, um, I personally, it's the nicest thing to say about this. Is that I did, I did think that DiBiase's offense looked pretty good, mm-hmm. um, which is no surprise. Like he's, you know, he's top tier talent. But yeah, I did not like this match at all. Like I thought, yeah, I was kind of bored by it. You had told me on paper, like DiBiase versus Tiger Mask Two, which for those who don't know, like Tiger Mask Two is actually Misawa. Yeah. Who then, you know, went on to become an absolute legend in all Japan and then Noah. Um, if he had told me like that that this match would be I would be as bored with this match as I, I was, like I wouldn't believe you. Like it's I just didn't like it at all. It was I'm sure it was just like a, not really like it meant to be like a super intense match, but is anything like just good like I, this was like almost like a tv match that you would see on like raw or smackdown or rampage or dynamite not 
particularly like great one just just there yeah and that's kind of what it is for it's just like there so there are some things that that really actively piss me off is we had this big dynamic start where DiBiase flips out and he goes after Tiger Mask and whoops on him and then Tiger Mask slows it way the hell down yeah like, he does I'm like why why you got this great hot start you know get after him but it's like no we're gonna slow this down and it what the problem for me is it feels like that you had the heel face dynamic on the offense swapped because you know the 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 fiery baby face going after him and like laying into him and then the heel gets a hold of him and slows him down and makes the mm-hmm. crowd not see any cool st- like that's that's what it felt like to me instantly the quiet quiet crowd still weirding me out as i watch this but we have this whole thing going and then dibiase comes back and starts throwing offense and they go to the outside and dibiase whacks him with a chair at least once maybe twice we go back in the ring and all of a sudden tiger mask is just up hell was selling all right i'm gonna do my spots now he's not holding the back he's not moving slow he just acts like it never happens and then does his stuff to go into the finish. And I'm like, you know what? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I am unhappy now. I'm grumpy. Um, so it, I don't know. It maybe it's just bad expectations because I knew going in that, that Tiger Mask was going to be Masawa, but like you said, Matt, it, going in, I had an expectation, and then I get this, and I'm just – I'm not happy with the product I got out of it, if that makes sense. Was it, was it some sort of miscommunication between, like, Misawa and, and Ted DiBiase? Was this always, like, planned? I don't know. Like, it, it, it did it, – it, there was some it of that like, where it's like – It felt like they were – I don't know. It felt like they were weren't on the same page. Mm-hmm. Because it felt like that. It felt like Ted DiBiase like was doing like feud work, and I don't know. It just felt like Mizawa was. I don't know. Like I, I don't know. It was weird. It just felt like they didn't click or something. But they had been working for this whole tour together. That's what I don't understand. So it's not yeah. like this is the first time they've been in the ring together. Mm-hmm. I, I'm probably harsher on it than I need to be, but to me, just no selling like that is a cardinal sin in my rule book. Um, for me, when I got started wrestling and I'm listening to, because at the time the big big podcast to listen to for for training purposes, I guess that are not, you know, that's not in ring stuff is listening to. Cornette talk about it and Raven talk about it and you know some guys who know what they're talking about talking about what you're expecting and what to do you know mindsets and things like that and to just have a match where you just turn around and no sell the other guy's offense to do your stuff to me is a cardinal sin like I would be livid about that um and and Towards the end of my career, there was uh, – I know of one guy off the top of my head who would start doing that, and so I would start laying stuff in. Be like, you know, what's your problem? It's like you're not going to just no-sell me. 
if you're going to try and no sell me, then I'm going to sink it in so that you'll at least sell one way or another. And maybe that was unnecessary of me, but it, it just really pissed me off because it, in my book, that undermines and devalues the other guy, which doesn't help you. If you don't win the match, then you look especially bad. It's like the promo version of if I call you a piece of trash in the promo and I lose to you, then what are you? Or if I call you a piece of trash in the promo and I beat you, then I didn't do anything impressive. It, it's it's like the in-ring corollary of that, I guess. Yeah. So that's that's why I was grumpy about this one. I can understand that. So, yeah. (laughs) So what did you guys think of, like, pre-WWE Ted DiBiase, though, like, as far as, like, work rate and all that goes? I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. It's he, um, he he was really, really good as a worker. Um, And then we saw some stuff here with him being a heel, um, which kind of, in looking at his, like, WWF Million Dollar Man run, you could kind of see how he had kind of perfected some of that. But the Million Dollar Man gimmick and everything like that, he worked a different type of style. Like, he could still, you could still see some of that, like, really competent technical uh, heel stuff. But he just had, like, the character and everything down really well. Yeah. I I think I've talked about it before on the on the show, but I, I really do think that, that Ted DiBiase is a guy that should have got a run. With the mm-hmm. WWF title back in the day, he uh, obviously did. Just a well, uh, <laughs> he did. I, he needed a run. Well, yeah, and I don't, I don't personally count like buying the title. It's like I, I want him to actually like beat a face for it. He could have beat Hogan, he could beat Savage, whatever. But uh, I, he should have had a run, in my opinion. Even though they were well, like a face company and kind of kind of always have been mm-hmm. uh, I do think that he would have been fine as like a brief uh, transitional champion like he could have won the title like I won't say fairly because like, he could have had like Andre could have like you know done something outside interference whatever to kind of cheat Hogan out of the, the title and you could have had DiBiase like get it that way and then even if you want to like have DiBiase lose it like two months later to Savage and then start that whole program, have Savage get his like year long reign or longer. But like I, I under, I get that. Like, but I, th- I do think Tibiashi should have got it. Um, even though, again, they're more of a face. Like, you could have had a transitional championship; it would have been totally fine. No one would have like probably batted an eye because that's. Uh, I feel like back then, like they could, they would tolerate that as long as it wasn't like the. I think when they started doing like the super long years later, they started the whole super long. You know, God push like Triple H had, where it's yeah. like he's a heel, and then you have him hold the title like multiple times and for long periods of time when he does have it. It's like I think that's when people started like really wane on that type of thing. Yeah, I, I really like. I knew DiBiase could work, but to see, especially the Armstrong matches, highlight exactly how good he was in this faster-paced, yet very intentional style, I wish that he would have gotten that national stage recognition because 
I absolutely think he deserves it. And he was such a good heel as the Million Dollar Man that mm. I wanted him to have. Yeah, like you said, short is fine, but I wanted him to have an actual run with it. Not like, hey, even buying the title off Andre, you know, was in line with the character, but I feel like he should have had it for a, a little while and have some defenses of it and that sort of thing to really sell. It's like, okay, he's not just all talking a billfold. Like, this is credible, and then wherever you want to go from there is fine. But uh, one other thing that this that watching these did highlight for me, Ted DiBiase is was definitely a man that needed a beard for his look because without the beard, it just wasn't right. You get used to it if you if you watch enough. Of yeah, but it. He, he just looks so much better with it. It just it just really it really suits him. So yeah, he looks better as a heel with it. He's fine as a face without the facial hair, in my opinion. Yeah. Well. But these were these were really good to watch and really fun to watch. So, yeah, I agree uh, I'm with that. I'm glad we did. I'm glad we did. Yeah, it makes me want to do like the searching for the Georgia stuff makes me want to do like more Georgia wrestling with like all the weird matches I found and stuff. <laughs> there was some real oddball stuff in there, wasn't there? Yeah, and there I found a like Ric Flair versus Coco Ware match in Memphis. I kind of want to watch for the show. For some reason, that is a pairing that never, ever crossed my mind. Yeah, because they've never been really in the same place together, so. Mm-hmm. What's... Nope. What was that, Matt? Cool, or is that a sweet sugar or whatever no, the name? Uh, was it Coco, or, or was he working as, like... No, it was, it was Coco. Sweet brown sugar, whatever his, his old... No, because mm. I think he's a face in that, so he'd be Coco, where I think Sweet Brown Sugar was just, like, while he was in the first family. Hmm. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> was there anything else we you wanted to You were talking last on? night about it. Oh, go ahead, Matt. I'm so sorry. Uh, I was... Uh, yeah, Brad was talking... <laughs> Brad was talking about last night. I think it was in Georgia Championship Wrestling. The, the man with the absolute best wrestling name of all time that'd be pork chop cash oh no that was from um <laughs> southeastern championship wrestling which became um which became continental but he also did memphis and mm. like a bunch of other places but yes that is the best the best wrestling name mm. of all time everyone else is just trying to climb that cat that mountain and find somewhere to get close yeah mm. but uh yeah it's was there anything else we wanted to hit on, guys? Or Do we want to briefly, just for like five minutes, talk about this um, Roman Reigns thing that I'm a little perplexed by? Oh, sure. Yeah, so quick background. Roman, after a house show, I don't exactly remember where the house show was. Do you guys remember? Uh, it, it was like Saturday night. Yeah. So I it think was... it must have been in like the northeast because the next night was backlash and that was held in providence our own friend of the show christy petrillo <laughs> went went to that show um did he have with his, uh, son, bad things to say about that show yeah he didn't really have much to say about it um i i haven't seen it but i have heard from people that 
at least three of the matches on that show were actually pretty good. So, um, well, that's that's like the story of the WWE. It's like the matches because the the workers themselves are so competent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the matches are usually a lot of times like pretty decent to good. It's just that the booking is kind of like pot. Yeah. Um, I, it may have been New Jersey or like Trenton or something. Hmm. Um, not you know think, a town they've been through. I a think few it times. was New Jersey. Okay, a town they've been to regularly, but it's not like a major stop or something like that. So he cuts this promo after the show to thank everybody, and then says, "I'm moving to a new stage in my career." And everybody's like, "Well, what in the world does that mean? You know, what's what's going on here?" Also, he's holding both major titles. What's the deal? And it comes out that he's taking not – and this doesn't apply to, I guess, pay-per-views and arena shows, but he's taking like 10 weeks off this summer, and no one seems to know why. Yeah, it's very cryptic. Uh, that's why a lot of people, including myself, think that it could just be like he's going to go uh, film a movie because mm-hmm. that would make sense if he's – gonna be gone like 10 weeks like that'd be enough time to yeah, usually they choose, like, buried their whole roster for him well that's yeah that's a problem because he's not during that 10 week period like i guess he's still booked for pay-per-views i think i think that's what Meltzer was saying like he's he's you know it's like a, he's still booked for these a couple big shows pay-per-views and it's like well, who knows actually if he's gonna really be on that or if he's just like on the books as like a placeholder or they want him to, but it's like okay, well, even if he is, you're not going to do any build for it. I mean, you can have he's not going to be on TV at all. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know. It's it's bizarre. Yeah. And going forward, it seems like it's he just signed or recently signed a new deal with the WWE, where he's just not going to be he's not going to be doing as many house shows or shows with them. Right. So I don't know. It sounds very, it sounds very much like what John Cena was doing when he kind of like started pulling back and doing yeah. other stuff. I, uh, I don't. I mean, what is left for Roman to do? Nothing. The only thing that Roman hasn't done is win multi-person handicap matches just to assert dominance and thank well, god for that technically those three ways where he pinned everyone right where that so he's done that <laughs> so there's not really anything left to do and if he's holding both belts and having to be on both shows then he's what traveling six days out of seven in a week or something yeah or probably. five days out of seven like yeah, I'd be frustrated too, but I he's been pushed so hard for so long that – and he's probably saved up enough money that he can be like, you know what, I'm, uh, I'm good. You know, he doesn't if, – if he's smart and clever with his money, he may not have to – you know, this run is over. He may not – have to work again if he doesn't want to and then where does that leave everything and i hate i hate 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 one-sided feud builds there are some people who have done it well yeah but Um, when every one of your feuds are one-sided it gets really old 
Well, like off the top of my head, I can only think of two, maybe three that had good one-sided build. Um, Jericho Malenko was one-sided but had good build. The Bray Wyatt Undertaker at Mania match was one-sided and I thought had good build. And then there was one here recently that I can't put my finger on, but I can only come up with three examples, like, ever. <clears throat> and so I'm not... Uh, I Well, if I was watching their stuff, I would not be looking forward to this even more. I'd be really, really frustrated. Um... Because the problem so is, I, like, he doesn't show ass ever. Like, they never really lose. Like, even the Usos don't really have vulnerability. They've been doing this, like, unification thing for, like, weeks. I keep, like, checking. I'm like, they, wow, they haven't unified the belt yet. I thought they were, t- like, they had already advertised the unification match. Well, that's the thing. Like, in true WWE fashion, it just got reported, like, today. It's like, oh, actually, they have, there's no plans on unifying the tag titles. Why it's are like, they hyping it? Yes, uh, you right? have, you have been building this for. I I don't want them unified, but you have, they have been building for like weeks. Like you've been doing this, and then you're like, oh yeah, no. They don't know what they're doing. Like this is a this is an aside, but it's like you you bring Lacey Evans back. Oh my TV, god! Uh, after her being gone like about a year or so, uh, because she was pregnant, real life pregnant. Yeah, and then you present her very sympathetic at telling her on on screen telling stories about how like oh my my father was abusive and i'm trying to break out of that cycle and be like a role model for my child and everything like that and you're like oh my god they got a lacey evans like major baby face push yeah and then they've just announced like oh yeah no she's gonna be healed yeah, I, and I was so everyone confused. Everyone is like scratching their head, and and it seems like they're even like not, they're not even creative because most people are uh, anticipating, and I'm sure this is how it will go. They're anticipating that she's going to be like, "Well, I would have been a face, but you guys didn't accept me." So oh, I, but you people didn't. You people. Like, you mean the blame but, the fan thing that every heel turn does? Yeah. Now? And here's the thing: they uh, like I haven't watched it, but. I have listened to people that do and the statement of like she's telling these stories about abuse and drug use around her and people committing suicide or people dying early and the crowds on their feet for like these videos watching them because they are in in attention and they're tuned in and they're watching it and that sort of stuff but and we have video footage of people like on their feet paying attention for it. But you want to you want to turn around and say, oh, but you people didn't give me the respect. It's like we have video footage. They did. Like, how do you have a build like this they've, and then make it a heel? Why do you have a build like this and make it a heel? They, well, I mean, it's like it's like everything else they do. But like the I hate the blame the fans thing because that is like every heel turn now there. Yeah. It's about mm-hmm. how the fans didn't support them, and it's like, actually, the fans did. But Yeah. It's like, you know, it's not real hard for me to, especially with the network around, I can go back, I don't know, six weeks. It's like, you people didn't cheer me. You weren't there for me. You didn't support me. Ah, nope, they were cheering for you. 
they were supporting you. Know, look at all those signs they put up there, and they were chanting for you and all that kind of stuff. So um, that leads me to believe that every heel in WWE is supposed to be delusional. Because uh, that's the only kayfabe thing I can come up with. But Well, I mean, it could just be that the company's run by idiots. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know what? We might as well go with that. I don't know. Because uh, I was I'm talking so lost. about how they have the platform from like the early '90s back, and it's he's just like, yeah, they're doing stuff that Vince and Bruce understand, which is 30 years ago now. Yeah. I, I they won't, they won't do this, but I would hope that they have Roman drop the titles. Or one of them at least. Yeah. Uh, before he pieces out for ten weeks. Right. But they won't. Well, they're I, already I, I, they're already mm-hmm. screwing Cody up. Yeah. He's he's getting like a, a good reaction still so far. So it's like you know what, whatever you might think about how that he's being booked or whatever, it's like you know what, just put the put the title on him. That's what I would do. Put the title on him. I mean, put the title on him. If he fails, like oh well. Like yeah, because you, it's something they, different. They have him going to a third pay per view with Seth Rollins. Like, why? He's beaten him twice. There's no reason. Like, on one hand, the matches between Cody and Seth have apparently been really, really good. But why do it again? Why? Why go back to the well a third time? Because the only thing I can figure there's there's a, two things that I can figure make sense. One of them I don't really like either one. One of them is worse than the other. The better one is Cody just beats him a third time, but then why? Well, because we're in a holding pattern trying to figure out what we're going to do. Everything has to last three pay-per-views because all they yeah. do is put everything's filler now. Or yeah. is Seth going to win the third one and be like, ah, I beat you in the last one. It's like Cody beat you clean twice, bro. But I, I – well, you, you, Thinking of like logical booking, which they don't they don't do, but I mean, you wouldn't want Cody to, in his very debut match to lose. So it's like, okay, he beat Seth, mm-hmm. and if you're gonna be like Seth, Seth, me like, no, 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 that was like a fluke. I need a a rematch. Like you could have, you could have the ending be some sort of thing where it's like Seth gets DQ'd, maybe, or it's like no definitive like win on his part it's not like and he doesn't even win by like cheating or anything like that just something like uh something like dumb mm-hmm. and then you could be like okay well there needs to be like a third match like we need to do like the rubber match even though obviously like cody would have won like twice and he has won twice it's like there's no point in the third uh, it, it i don't cody because he should be moving on yeah i don't in general i don't have an an issue with people like feuding where they're having three matches together but obviously usually it's a situation where there's like parody booking which i hate but i mean it does make sense it's like okay one guy wins the first match the other guy is like no no no, i want like a rematch and they win like the second match and then it's like okay we have to have a third to, to kind of be like two out of three Someone wins two out of the third the, the three matches so like they they can walk away like they're the better person okay i get it I can see a, a reason for it, but they just don't. That's not what they're doing. What they're doing is what you just said, like a minute ago. It's 
they're there purely for content creation. They'll have gotten three months out of Seth, Cody, and then they can like, all right, let's move on to the next one. I'm going to have Cody versus Veer for like three months, I guess. I don't know. I I don't I don't like it. You know, that's that that's the biggest problem for me is this content usually when people talk about creating content, they're talking about having to come up with stuff that's new and different so it keeps watchers. But that's not <laughs> what we're getting here. Um Look, if you're out there and you're listening to us and you like WWE, that's fine. But my problem is it's not for that us. That's that's it's uh, it's very much not. And they are once more doing the thing I complained about for I don't know the first two years of our podcast is Cody is there. Cody is hot. Do something with it. Strike when the iron is hot. But no, they've just got him doing the. He's spinning his wheels for three months before anything happens, and it's cooling him off. Well, I was thinking today, like you can really see the decline in their creative and like just their ability to function. Because think about like, because we were doing the podcast during the original Ronda Rousey run, and think about how much they protected her in that run. And how much, like, just everything they do in this run with her is just makes her look bad. And how they jobbed her at WrestleMania only to win it at the next pay-per-view. And they don't yeah. see how that devalues the win. Yeah, And apparently, or what it seems to be the writing on the wall is, like, they didn't do that. They didn't have Ronda win because she was supposed to or should have. They did it because like Charlotte Flair is piecing out for a while because she's she's actually getting married to Andrade and yeah. gonna have a honeymoon. So it's like she's gonna she needed a reason to be off TV for like you know eight weeks or longer. So that's what they came up with, and it, it doesn't make sense. But that's how like that what 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 do they do that makes sense nowadays? I don't understand that that original Ronda run. Like that, Ronda's debut match in that tag with Kurt Angle against Trips and Stephanie was excellent. That was building a new star. They did a great job. And then now, you know, here's this hot return again. Let's make sure it doesn't, you know, she comes back at the Rumble and then they're like, oh, go out there and cut this long promo when she's still kind of bitter about the last run and that's not going to work and she's not a great talker yeah i i don't it it feels and maybe this is just the fact that i'm as jaded as i am and as tired of their style as i am but it feels like they're just doing they're doing a paint by the numbers thing for their booking except Except it's always not, the same pattern, and she and they're not adjusting for her because she's not as experienced as like wrestlers they're used to booking. So they need to like protect her, like don't well, send her out to contract signings, don't put her in not, situations where she needs to improvise. Um, they're not adjusting for anybody. No, and when when it falls down, like some people are good enough to cover for it. 
But they got rid of all I'm those not people, the biggest actually. fan of Edge, but Edge AJ have enough experience to be able to adjust and cover for it. But then, you know, you're wasting Cody's big return. You're wasting Ronda's big return. I, I, I don't understand why eight months ago Becky's big return was to make her a heel when she was like the hottest baby face in the company. You, they did something different in North America, and their biggest star was the one, you know, a woman on their roster who was a huge deal. Brought her back, had like the worst return match, and made her into a heel straight away. And I don't know why. Like they, they I, I passed the return match. That's why. I I just I don't I don't understand their thought process, and it just it just bothers me. There was who was it that said this is. Um, it was, I can't remember what, it was basically the post-Austin Foley rock era when it seemed like McMahon started building the structure around him towards what we have now. Oh, that was when Brock left. Was it when Brock left? Okay. Because that's when they decided <laughs> no one could be bigger than the brand and they intentionally like started sabotaging anyone being like a star because they got mm. burned by Brock. But now you also didn't have people who were good enough or you're not fostering for people to be good enough to be able to make things work or handle things on their own. And it seems like from reports that so much stuff is getting micromanaged that you're getting this homogenous thing. You, you've got to be a very special wrestler or gimmick for stuff to really pop you know it, it new day got over because vince said well i'm gonna give you the worst gimmick i can think of since you said we can get anything over and they did it because those guys are, are really good but it's like everything on the card is being handled the same way and nobody's got either the space to flex and make it their own or they're shot down if they try to. It's also or... the there's the unforced errors is where I think they're gonna get Cody is um it's not like the they can have their plans, but it's when they wanna do something funny or they wanna do this moment and they totally bury someone in a moment just because they want that particular moment for T V or something and they don't realize like when they go back to their plans, like, well no, you, you damage them in the process of doing that. And I think I think that's where they're going to damage Cody slightly is not like their overarching booking of him, but like those little moments where they don't think about the like where this fits into the big picture. They just want their like comedy or their like, you know, moment. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember who said it, but they they when they left the company, they said the whole company revolves around moments now. And like the the WrestleMania moment thing, it's like everything revolves around that. That might have been punk. It maybe it was. I'm not sure. Like I don't personally like punk a whole lot, but he ain't. He is right about a lot of stuff. Too. Like remember, like, he I had can admit that, that. Remember he talked about that asinine conversation. We're talking about he'd been gone seven years, 
and they had he had that match with the shield and they're like well no you got to make roman look good you got to have make roman oh, look yeah. good and he's like well then just have him beat me yeah and like no we can't do that it's like but you got to make him look good it's like that's the, yeah. that's how their mentality is now yeah that's that's from the infamous cold uh podcast that caused him to get sued and there had a whole huge fallout but but yeah like he made perfect sense in that argument it's like uh well you're gonna go over it's like well you know what actually like get these guys over is if they actually beat me it's like three on one like i shouldn't win right like they should beat me it's like oh no you got you can't do that but vince wants you to go over it's like okay all right i'll go but you gotta make robin look really really strong it's like enough i know how to do my job well and i mean and i'm not a huge punk fan but like I mean, how many times, like, over the decades have they have they been in that conversation where they would want the guy to put him over and he wouldn't do it? And Punk's just sitting there like, if you want him to look good, just, I'll, like, beat me. Like, I don't care. Like, I mean, he was being, like, really unselfish and they were, like, fighting with him about it. I, that's just so dumb. Uh, yeah. Wanting your cake and eating it, too. And yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. But can, I, it, can I mention ahead, one man. last thing? Yeah. Yep. The, the, to me, like the funniest thing uh, from WrestleMania backlash, that people caught this. People that really like they pay way they pay way too much attention to stuff, but they caught this. <laughs> is um during I guess the hat there was a Happy Corbin uh, Madcap Moss match. Yeah. And people caught that they cut to like the crowd and people were like that looks familiar and they go they actually saw that that the crowd shot that they showed was like from ten years ago. Like they they spliced it into the broadcast Ouch. to show like people reacting from from a clip from like 10 years ago i could not imagine a single person giving a flying fuck about happy corbin versus madcap moss i don't even Maybe think that's that... why they could they, they pulled people from like 10 years ago yeah. no one cared but, like why are they doing this they haven't done they hadn't done anything to get madcap moss over like i don't i couldn't even tell you like the difference between madcap moss um Ridge Holland or Rick Boogs. Like I could have when Rick Boogs because I used to be able to say, "Oh, that's the dude with long hair." Mm. But I think like I think Rick Mad Boogs Cat... has a big mustache and he's injured right now. That's and, all I got. And I think I think Mad Cat Moss has frosted hair. Maybe they maybe. seem like those three people seem like the same person. Yeah, that's what I'm. Like, yeah, I just don't get it. And like, well, for one thing, no one wants to see court. Baron Corbin like do anything and they haven't learned that in what like six years now I don't know man but like I don't understand like you would never like even like seven years ago that would have never sniffed pay-per-view I I I cannot figure what their their thought process is for anything so I, I am fully at a loss, and you and, know what? I think that's good to go out and, with. And just my, the last thought, though. Like, I don't even think Madcap Moss and Corbin were together long enough for there to be any impact of there being a turn one way or the other for someone to care. Well, I mean, you can't have a team in that company without breaking them up. Oh, I know, but that's, I mean... It's, they're going to break everybody up. Yeah, and I think the thought process is the good stuff comes after the breakup. It's like not everybody is Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. You know, some some folks 
thrive in a team. So let him be a team. But yeah. All right. All righty. Well, everybody, thank you out there for joining us for this episode. We uh, hope you enjoyed our Ted DiBiase retrospective and our contemporary WWE confusion. Uh, we would love to hear from you on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And so this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three corners. You're in the fourth, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>